Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I believe you might be missing the greater point of the show, Paladin Butters. Yeah, I know. Winter is coming and there's dragons and zombies on the way. I'm pretty excited for that. Broadcasting from the bowels of the Red Keep, a king's road away from a fallen Winterfell and their wintry exile of Castle Black. You're listening to The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers with Maester Daniel and Ben of House Garrett, Lord of Oxford and Warden of North Mississippi, and other things that sound cool and stuff. For the night is dark and full of... Spoilers. It's, it's full of spoilers and stuff. The night is dark and full of... Spoilers! watching that show and I'm still waiting for the darn dragons to show up and, and kick everyone's butts. This is The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers. I'm Ben of House Garrett, Lord of Oxford, Warden of North Mississippi. He's Maester Daniel. Episode 2 of Season 8 has come and gone. A Night of the Seven Kingdoms and a lot to get to. Maester Daniel, your biggest takeaway from Episode 2 is what? Probably that um, a lot of people are going to die next week. Yes. Coming up Sunday. Yes. That's pretty much what I, I mean, that's the, the main thing that this episode did was it created a bunch of urgency and the rush, the, the rush nature of the last two seasons have really put a lot of uh, emphasis on that. And uh, it feels like a lot like Mass Effect 3, the first time I played, that's another sci-fi fantasy epic that, you know, the uh, up until the very end was some of the most engaging entertainment that I'd ever experienced and with, with especially with the story that I was invested in. So. I feel like it's moving along the same path, uh, and I'm willing to give you know the last few episodes a little more leeway in the first place anyway because I'm so ready for this story to end, I guess. Episode 3 is going to be 82 minutes long. It'll be the Battle of Winterfell. The dead have arrived at the gates of Winterfell. Episode 2, I'll admit, I've already watched it four times. I loved it. For me, it's a, lot. a top 8 episode in Game of Thrones history. We needed this. Last week was a calm before the storm, but this was even better. It was a true bottle episode. And you've heard Tyrion say before, the most interesting thing in many respects about this show are people in rooms talking. And Jamie and Tyrion talked. Danny and Sansa had their disagreement, but a discussion nonetheless. And of course, John and Danny, in the final moments, act three of this episode, he finally breaks the news. Of course, the horn sounds. They're here. They're here. Let's start there. In the crypts, John and Danny. John learns of his true parentage, Lyanna. Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen are his mother and father, respectively. Sam has told him this. Bran has seen it. He's got the sight as the three-eyed raven. Danny takes this news in the most Danny way possible. It's true, Danny. I know it is. If it were true, it would make you the last male heir of House Targaryen. You'd have a claim to the Iron Throne. It feels like, at least from my vantage point, that they're setting her up to be the big bad. Well, the, another thing about those conversations, they're the two most important conversations of the episode, if you're talking about exposition narrative-wise. And both of those conversations were interrupted. We didn't get to see Danny's true reaction because we didn't get to see the other two characters react because Sansa's question was very pointed and to the point. But I think Sansa's also playing the game. I mean, Daenerys has very good reasoning to believe and not to trust any of these people in the first place because the people that usurped her families, people like the Starks and the Lannisters, these people, these are people that were in alliance the last time against her father to depose him, to depose her family. So it's already a delicate situation in the first place. And she had to find out that information and there was never going to be a reaction from her other than negative in the first place. I just felt like, for those two conversations, especially what happens to the North and what happens to Daenerys, I think that question is answered in Jon Snow. And um, I hope they don't do Daenerys and Jon. I hope that they continue to make Cersei the, the bad guy they could focus on because we don't have a lot of time for this kind of bickering when, when it comes to 
the the primogeniture and, and the line of succession here. And she should she should have a different reaction afterwards. Because, but I guess with so much urgency and so much speed that like we're moving towards the battle, there wasn't time to gauge her reaction because the, the, I mean he's the only other dragon rider. She should have known already. I think she will. I think they did a lot. They've made up for a lot of things this episode that we complained about last time about Sansa and Tyrion and, and the lines that she gave to Daenerys kind of showed that, hey, she didn't just completely blow them off. She's playing the game. And again, and Sansa has the just just as big of an incentive to do that as well. It's annoying quibbles about that. Danny's not happy, and it's fair to wonder who Danny actually trusts right now. I think Jorah probably has her trust the most. The man who betrayed her to Varys, who right. she now employs as well. Right. Um, and there's a great moment with Sam and Jorah where Sam, like we predicted, gave Jorah heartsbane. We'll get to that in a little bit. But in the first episode, you and I had one piece of dialogue in particular that we absolutely loved and knew that it was going to be uh, a long arc for the entire season. Daenerys is our queen. She shouldn't be. That's treason. It's the truth. You gave up your crown to save your people. Would she do the same? Where do you think Danny goes now? How is she going to process this? Will it create, in effect, a divide within the camp, infighting between John's side, the North, Sansa, and Danny herself? She's been trying to equip herself as the queen. She sat in the middle in the trial of Jamie. She's now trying to act that way, but she doesn't feel like she's getting the respect she deserves. That's why she has the one-on-one with Sansa. Sansa apologizes, but then it comes back to Sansa playing the long game, what happens to the North afterwards. It feels like, again, that they're setting Danny up to be the Mad Queen, in effect, which is not something you and I are crazy about, but they're laying the groundwork for that, it looks like. It does, but again, why would we spend all this time with Daenerys showing how she makes mistakes? only to have her continually make mistakes all the way until she gets killed by her own family again. I don't see why they would do it. I don't think the show writers are that cruel. Um, I think that it's mostly to it's the, to throw us off the scent about what's going to really happen, I guess. I really believe that they'll continue to have the focus on Cersei and bid on Cersei. Also, you know, when it comes to this, this is the dream that Daenerys has from the beginning. And, and you know, like she told Jon in the Crips, when they were in front of Lyanna Stark, she heard all the stories about her brother. The first, in the, all, all the rest of the stories, they talk about how good of a person he was, how he gave money to poor people and poor children, how he loved the children. He liked he he was charitable and he was gracious and he was smart and he was funny and he was good looking. And the story for you know in the books is a much. Um, Longer time, it's 16 years, 15, 16 years. You know, and then this one, it's about two decades, about the same, is that he kidnapped and raped the Northern House. That's why they rose up in rebellion with Robert. When that complete story is 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 a fabrication. So it, the foundation is upon a lie. So, of course, she's incredulous because, like she pointed out to him, it's your best friend and your brother or who you thought you were a brother. And she has no reason for John to lie, but it also is a, he has just processed this information as well. And he's trying to defend, he's doing a typical John thing in defending Rhaegar. He's not going to let somebody besmirch his, the honor of now his father, because only to protect himself and to protect who he was and his, who his, he thought his father was. So it, it's, it's massive information, and I'm glad they've gotten it out of the way. I just um, I don't think that it's going to be as impactful in the next episode as it was is going to be in the subsequent episodes because we don't know what's going to happen. I just don't feel like they're going to set up the Battle of Winterfell as the only time the Night King is, you know, is going to be the, the big showdown against him personally. We still haven't seen him. We still haven't seen where he is. Why, why would he not be? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it furthers the point we made last week. But it does about, raise the question about what Danny's motivations are once this battle is complete. She's going to live through this battle, as is John. I agree. Something that is brought up throughout the episode is the idea of manipulation. And Danny has this discussion with Sansa when they're having it out 
in regards to their odds. And Sansa brings up the point, and it's a fair point, that John loves Danny, and that, of course, sows distrust with Sansa because she's seen it before. Men do stupid things for women that they love. And I thought Danny's response was great. She said, all my life I've known one goal, and that's the Iron Throne, and yet she's here in the North foregoing that objective, at least in the short term, to fight John's war. So who's manipulating who? That shows, first of all, that though she loves John, she is weary of John. She's been raised to be weary of everyone. Her closest confidant, Jorah, for example, was a spy for Varys for the longest. And then, of course, Tyrion. Tyrion, who has had made mistake after mistake, and we'll talk about his arc in just a second, but she doesn't trust Tyrion right now. When Jamie delivers the news that, hey, look, you're, you're dumb to trust Cersei, she ain't coming. She immediately cuts eyes at Tyrion and then lets him have it. And Tyrion says, looking back at Varys and Jorah, I figure one of y'all are going to be wearing this before this is all over, speaking of his pen that indicates he's the hand of the queen. So you can tell she's not trusting of much of anyone around her and how they come to grips with that, the showrunners, I mean, and round that off to where she doesn't have a true tragic end, but a bittersweet one as is the overall theme of the entire show, Game of Thrones. That's the interesting thing to follow for me because you can tell that they're intentionally sowing this Danny's not trusting anybody right now. She doesn't feel like she's getting the cred she deserves. All of that is well within the sight of the Watcher. Her arc, even in the books, though, has so many meandering plot lines. And, we, you know, I would much prefer this Daenerys as opposed to her squandering herself in Marine again. Who wants to watch the Sons of the Harpy embarrassing? You can talk about another guy that got shafted from the books. Barristan, oh, let's who, not start doing that. We, we've done that before. I know we've done that before, but it, it, it comes back around. Is that, you know, it's, it would be silly to try to present her as the bad guy all of a sudden now after all this. And it would subvert your expectations and subvert the audience's expectations, but I feel like it would be cheaply done to try to be like Rian Johnson in The Last Jedi. Doing it, do it, doing it to thumb your nose at the audience as opposed to genuinely surprising us. I don't think that would be surprising in a good way, making her the bad guy. It would be typical Targaryen. So where does so, she go? I think she has to. I think she has to get close to that. I think she, her and John are meant to be together. They're the tragic love story that's going to end this thing. It's going to end the world. And um, I think it's obvious they're both going to live through at least this battle. I feel like a lot of um, a lot of characters, including POV characters, are going to die. I hope Brienne doesn't die, but I feel I figure Brienne and Brienne and Jamie will probably perish together. Um, and some of the other characters, like Beric and the Hound, I hope the Hound lives because I feel like that the Night King at least is going to use Robert Strong. The, the you know the the zombie mountain as a as a white walker general i feel like he's gonna that's gonna be the one they'll they'll regroup somehow and have another fight against what would be a another gigantic army because it has to happen this can't be the only time they can they're gonna thin out so many plot lines in this next one i, I um, think what's gonna happen is they're gonna not lose but really get it handed to them at Winterfell, and they're going to fall back to the Iron Islands. There's a reason why Yara has took back the Iron Islands in their name. But you, you bring up a really good point, and that has to do with who's going to die. So the Battle of Winterfell, a, a big part of Episode 2, and why I loved it so much, you got to spend real time with these characters, characters that are beloved after season after season, spending time with them, real time with them. And you got all of those proper send-offs. It feels pretty obvious that a handful are gone. Grey Worm is toast. Brienne of Tarth, it feels like she's right there. Jamie is a questionable one, though. Now, he is gone to be under the command of Brienne, which shows Jamie's character arc coming full circle, and I love it. Jamie in episode one, season one, would have never gotten to the place where he is giving himself to the command of someone else. And Brienne is the only person that he would accept a as a leader of him to be a part of someone else's command. Brienne's the only person. So to have him there is great. They're on the left flank under Brienne's command. Jamie, it's interesting because he still has to potentially fulfill the prophecy of the Valonqar, or at least his book has been something that is 
been an underlying thread throughout the whole show. You see him looking at this book in King's Landing. It's got all the pages of the uh, Kingsguard and who they were. And Jamie's is short compared to like Barris and Selma, who's got four pages or something. And Jamie's is like half a page. And at the end, it says Kingslayer. And it really bothers him. He wants to change this story. And he's getting to that point where he's going to change the story. But it feels like his send-off has to be grander than just dying in the Battle of Winterfell. So we know Grey Worm's probably out. Brienne's it's tough. Pod, who else do you think is on the chopping block? Jorah's carrying Heartsbane. I think he's probably going to live. I think you can probably – that's the reason why I'm kind of iffy on whether Brienne's going to actually die or not is because she's carrying Valyrian steel just like um, Jorah now is. I think the people carrying Valyrian steel end up living. So, you know, that's a pretty good – indicator of i think jamie will probably sacrifice himself in that scenario but you can never tell really and i think that a lot of people a lot of uh characters we spend a lot of time with are going to die are going to perish next week and it could be any of them i think any of them except for the two targaryens are on the table honestly theon's Mm -hmm. guarding bran in the gods i think he's dead theon's dead dead. Mm mm-hmm because it rounds out his character arc pretty well. His that, redemption arc. Yes. Mm-hmm. He um, took Winterfell from Bran. You heard him say it. Uh, I took Winterfell from you. Let me protect you now. He's going to die, and that'll finish off Theon. And it's a good way for him to go out, quite frankly, the most useless character on the show at this point. So makes a lot of sense. The question of the Hound, we're going to get Clegane Bowl. And if we get Clegane Bowl, and that's the Mountain and the Hound brothers facing off, the Hound can't die in the Battle of Winterfell, but Barrett can. What was the and point? Barrett can also Barrett can also use himself to resurrect the the you know the Hound if he dies, which I think will probably happen that way because we still haven't seen Melisandre and the other followers of the Light. She told Varys that that both of them would die in Westeros. She right. prophesied that. I, f- I figure we'll see her in connection with Barrett and the Hound and the and the and the fire magic somehow. I don't know exactly when. I'm trying to understand, though, what's the point of Beric Dondarrion at this point? Introduce the Brotherhood Without Banners. You didn't bring back Lady Stoneheart, who is the resurrected corpse of Catelyn Stark. You did none of these things. So what was the point of it all to show the Brotherhood Without Banners and to show Beric Dondarrion coming back 19 times? What was the point if he's just going to die in the Battle of Winterfell? He is, in, in, in the books, more than more going to it deeply what each being brought back by fire does to him psychologically. They, uh, they talk about how it consumes. He, he says it to Thoris of Myrrh when he's speaking with Arya and Storm of Swords. And he's talking about how it consumes completely. He said, you know, when he's been brought back six times at the, at the current time of this conversation, he says, he just says six times is too many because he's forgotten what it's like but to, before he became resurrected, before he became the spirit of vengeance. And I think that when he gives himself to Catelyn Stark to make her Lady Stoneheart, that that sacrifice will be replicated in the show, at least, resurrecting somebody like, I thought it may have been John, it could have been John, or it could be the Hound, somebody else um, that he gives his essence to, or Melisandre's able to, because the dragons, they're going to make her more powerful. And, and if they continue with the way that her magic works. Um, and I think that's really where the Raholer, the Lord of Light, comes in that we haven't heard from in a while. The one thing that caught my eye that I couldn't get out of my brain, you and I have a fundamental disagreement about this, but I think it's so obvious at this point. Over and over and over again, the crypts are safe. You'll be safe in the crypts. How will he find you? His mark is on me. He always knows where I am. We'll put you in the crypt where it's safest. No. We need to lure him into the open before his army destroys us all. Go down to the crypts. That's where you'll be safest. The Night King is coming. He can raise the dead. The crypts then, I mean, Bran should know this. John should know this. There are dead bodies. There is a graveyard in the basement in the crypts. The crypts are not going to be safe. So for the third time in a row, the third, the night is dark and full of spoilers in a row, I ask you, what's going to happen in the crypts? If they bring him back, that would be so stupid. Why would they... You have all these people, Dolores Ed and Clumbany included. That Dolores Ed's going to bite it next next episode. Um, it probably. Um, they're not, they didn't let him get his moment. I mean, him and Sansa could have cracked it out to give him a little action. But um, that's neither here nor there. However, these guys should know 
the Night's Watch, who's fought the Fist of the First Men, like Sam said, the guys who went north of the wall, the band of people, they should all know that dead people could be reanimated, which is, makes me think that they're not going to do such such an obvious thing that we may be overthinking it, that the Stark people that have been dead are just able to sit there because I think that r- allowing that to happen it's too it's too dumb it's too dumb to think that all these military commanders wouldn't have think thought about it in the first place when it's been proven already to their face and there is magic in those swords that are protecting there the, could be magic that seals the crypts themselves yes yeah so what could make them not safe then because they're something's going to happen down there they're going to break the walls i think i think they're going to be able to breach the walls i think winterfell is going to be overrun eventually there's just there's too many people. There's just too many um, of the dead, and the White Walkers themselves. They have the spears that can kill dragons, so the dragons are going to be more cautious. They're going to potentially be facing their brother, which we don't know how they're going to react to that. They don't like the North in the beginning anyway because it's so cold, and now they're going to face their undead brother just like everybody else has to face their undead. That um, really. You know, that's the psychological effect that the others have is that they send the people that you love against you and who retain some of those memories, too. I don't think I, think, I don't think Ned's going to come alive. I don't think Leanna's going to come out of her grave. I, I think for like the highborn lords and ladies of Winterfell, the swords that protect those graves are going to keep them there. But cursory characters like Sir Roderick could come back, not to say Sir Roderick's going to come back, but someone to that vein would in essence, be scary enough to make the crypts. Because Danny says in the teaser, the dead are already here. Well, we all saw them arrive at the walls. Why would she say that other than something's already penetrated the inside? Maybe it was the crypts themselves. I don't think they would be having such a casual conversation if they were being overrun from the inside. They'd be beating a hasty retreat at that point. They wouldn't be stopping in the gods would have a, you know, a fireside chat. I think it's going to be, that's another one of those teaser swerves they're going to do where it's mostly about the line of succession at this point. Um, I think they're going to be waiting in the gods was a long time because I think that the night King is not going to be there. I think that if he was going to show himself, why would he send all those mounted, those mounted lieutenants together with those ice spears when he has a dragon and can throw the ice spears at the same time? It's because this is a feint. I still believe that. And I think the court, the crypts, is another thing they've been they've been beating the crypts as a safe spot. They're also having to write for a bunch of people who just started watching the show, who've been binging to catch up. So they have to give it a little more weight that people didn't know about. Now they could obviously do the zombies in the crypts. I just think it'd be another cheap thing that they just forgot. There was a bunch of dead people down there that could be used against them. That's why it's a fundamental disagreement because <laughs> I just don't think you know. I, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, and I think you're um, trying to suppress your worst impulses, thinking that something like you're not wanting to happen is going to happen, and then you're going to be mad next week. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that. Ghost made an appearance very Barely. casually. You didn't see him at all in season seven. And then oh, boo, there's Ghost just standing there on the top of the, of the battlement with Sam and Dolores, Ed, and John. Just to, just to call back to season one, two, and three, the the journey that John was making throughout the Night's Watch and becoming um, the man he is today. Um, that whole conversation went back to it. I thought it was funny. I think the humor was done well. I thought that Dolores Ed, again, is such a good character and is, is perfect for an adaptation. I think is one of those they just got right. And um, his lines about Sam the Slayer being the, the one, and then Sam the, one, the lover of, woman, of women is, uh, is another, another great line that... Um, it's probably going to be his last, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, for Dwarf's head. Yeah, he's going to be toast. All right, flea bottom corner, my first bowl of brown for you, Maester Daniel. And this is where Ben nitpicks Game of Thrones like I do every single week. First nitpick, first bowl of brown for Maester Daniel, Tyrion being dumb. He hasn't had a good plan in two seasons now. He's been made to look like an idiot. And the one thing, as Jor mentioned to Danny, that makes Tyrion a weapon, that makes him a needed advisor, a trusted advisor, is his mind. And yet his mind has not worked properly for two seasons. What are they doing with Tyrion, the inexplicable story arc that they're trying to follow here? I don't understand where they're going. I don't either. Um, I guess they're trying to make the, um, again, they're trying to elevate some of the 
other storylines at the expense of his. I think that's got a lot to do with the, con- the condensation of the last two seasons. Um, but you know, making him the dumb one all of a sudden after after showing that he can how competent he was just seems like a logical leap at this point. But he also has made plenty of mistakes, and I, I'm glad they got back. And to Danny him a has bit. also ignored his advice at times. That was actually Multiple times. Be good. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so you know, um, it's not just. I think that's a perception thing. And also, these women are in a heightened state of uh, of paranoia. I mean, they've been put through the ringer, each one of them, including Arya. The scars on her body showed it. That it's uh, it's been it's not been an easy decade. And um, but it, it just it just shows you the truncated seasons have caused some of these storylines to suffer. And his is the one that you notice the most. Um. And uh, I'm glad they let him go back. I, I thought the dialogue with Bran was great when Bran told him it was great. a long story. And he yep. said, uh, just pretend we're in a castle in winter with nowhere to go. It was great. It, it, Tyrion yeah. finally felt like Tyrion for the first time in years. Too. Absolutely. And he starts drinking and talking to his brothers and singing. I think that, I think that's that was classic Tyrion. But before, you know, it just felt like belittling him for no reason. And to have Sansa and Jorah, who for many seasons were the two of the dumbest characters, that were on the the show. Um, it shows that the the writers are not completely unaware of what they've done so far. Um, I'm hoping, however, that that this is going to in the future in the in the last few episodes that he becomes the leader. And that's why I don't think that the Crips are going to be dangerous. Why would they send Tyrion down there after ripping the guts out of his story? from a storytelling perspective about where Tyrion's going to fight. Like you mentioned to Danny, I can fight. I fought at the battle of the Blackwater. I've fought before. I need your mind. Go to the crypts. You'll be safe there. He's going to fight again for whatever comes out of there. I hope so. I hope not. Because again, that's just one of those things that I feel like that would be detrimental from the storytelling perspective. I don't want to see a dwarf fighting a zombie. I want to see the people with the big swords doing what they're supposed to be doing. We haven't seen Valerian steel, but used but once, which again, we talked when, when hard home came out, about how important of a reveal that was. I mean, it had been speculated for years and years in the books, and it comes out all of a sudden in one of the greatest episodes, if not the greatest episode of the show itself, with the, the original, not just the stare down from the Night King, that made him such a threat. And so um, we'll see. We'll see how they handle his arc. I think this next episode really is going to set the tone for what the finale is going to be like. I think that's what you're really going to see. You're going to see the sweeping of the deck again, like the red wedding was. And, uh, some of these other betrayals, they reset the board again, and we're going to see how it shakes out. I think you're right. I think they're going to end up falling back to the iron islands though. At the end, my second bowl of Brown starts with a compliment and I'm reading, I think from the AV club, forgive me if the citation isn't correct. Jamie was so willing to come to a place and that is Winterfell, where he knew he might die before ever seeing the Army of the Dead. And it's a pivotal and triumphant moment for the character, even if it means his eventual death. It's a relief, really, to see Jamie's full potential as a character being realized. I agree with that assessment. I love the way that was put. It's either the AV Club or the Ringer, but I love that description of Jamie. The beef I had with the trial was not Brienne, was not Sansa, was not Tyrion. How in the world, when Danny is going after Jamie, does Jamie or no one step up? Brienne obviously can't do it, but she knows the story about burn them all Bran burn them all where's my sister how does burn them all how is that not brought immediately to the table in that pseudo trial in front of Danny about her father wanting to burn them all first of all the history of that Maester Daniel and secondly why did that not come up will it come up I think it will come up later. Obviously, and the most obvious answer there is, for me at least, is that he, she is the final judge, jury, and executioner. It doesn't matter what Sansa or John says. If the queen says he must die, they're going to kill him. And Grey Worm would kill him immediately with no remorse. This is a man who's betrayed almost everyone in his entire life, who was disrespectful of literally every... Um, code of conduct and legal standard of, of that day. Um, he sat on the Iron Throne. Ned Stark thought he was going to have to fight him when he first walked in, if you forget. Ned, Ned Stark thought he was going to have to fight Jamie Lannister, who by, at that point was Ed Jamie Lannister in his prime, one of the most dangerous men to ever live. So he has a reason, a very, very big reason, obviously, survival to not 
talk about Aries. And two, would she believe it? Again, you're talking about a man who murdered him. And Barristan, and it's not, and Daenerys knows what her dad was like. It's not like she's unaware. It's just like her brother. She can only take the information that she's been given and make a determination. And she's not getting very good advice. As you said, her advisors have made very, very critical mistakes, and they've betrayed her multiple times over and over and over again. But that will be addressed, you think, where someone will break the news. Absolutely. What, what we need to know as an audience, not just the characters learning themselves in the show. We need to learn as an audience what he meant by burn them all. You think they'll tell that story? Yes, I think they will. I think that they didn't show that by accident, the burn them all in what Aries Madness had forced him to do. What do you think that madness was? I think the madness was part of the Targaryen's um, curse. Um, Master Aemon talks about it some in the books, um, and Barristan talks about it pretty significantly in the books. Barristan talks about how Jaehaerys, Aerys' father, um, who is the one who, if you, if skipping ahead here, if you're going to bring up Pod's song, Jenny of Jenny, the song of Jenny of Old Stones. Um, when Jaehaerys, Aerys' father, um, who would have been the son of Aegon V, Jaehaerys' second son. Uh, Jaehaerys would be Duncan, who is the heir to Aegon V, divorce, you know, gave up his claim to the throne to marry Jenny of Oldstones, who was a common common girl. Um, she was a little hippie-ish, um, wore flowers in her hair, hung out with this little three-foot-tall woods witch who makes prophecies, and where the prince that was promised prophecy came from was her. Um, and she promised it would come from the line of Jaehaerys and his sister. So not only is Daenerys' parents brother and sister, but her grandparents were brother and sister. So she's technically her own cousin, multiple times over. Because her, her, her mom is also her aunt, and her grandmother is also her great aunt. And so forth, so on and so forth. So it, it, the Jaehaerys told Barristan, and he, and he and subsequently found out that he says that greatness and madness are on the same side of the Targaryen coin, and fate decides which side it lands on. And Ares, before Barristan had to rescue him in the defiance of Duskendale, which is where he went so crazy, he was captured by a rogue lord who thought that the taxes were too high. He was kept captive for a couple months. Barristan ended up rescuing him, and from then on, he was completely paranoid. Paranoid of Rhaegar, paranoid of all of, you know his family, paranoid of the Starks when when Rhaegar and Lyanna ran off with one another. Brandon Stark, who was Ned's older brother, rode to King's Landing and called Rhaegar out in single combat. While Ares, in his madness, called his father, arrested Brandon, and then called his father and Ned and Brandon's father to him, Lord Rickard Stark, and then burn him alive while he had Brandon tied by the neck. Uh, just out of arm's reach, looking to save his father to cut him down. He had a, a sword planted, so he just couldn't reach it. So he killed himself trying to save his Ned's, him and Ned's father that was rusting alive in his armor. And that's the madness that had overtaken Ares. He was burning people to get sexually aroused. And his wife, who was also his sister, Daenerys' mother, um, was revolted by it. So he, she, it, it, Ares was a disgusting person. He, he had gotten so paranoid he didn't want it he was afraid of definitely afraid of water he wouldn't take baths and he wouldn't cut his fingernails so he looked like this raggedy old man his hair was almost to the floor and his nails would grow disgusting like those guys in in the ripley's believe it or not who have the big curled up nails so you don't think his madness had anything to do with brand in some way getting into his mind or trying to move through time i hope not because that would negate again another storyline about the strife in the kingdom between the Lannisters and the Starks. I mean, so many different families. He kills so, so like many the Mad different... King didn't see the army of the dead and then just become paranoid and see everybody as the army of the dead to burn them all. You don't think that's the thing? No, I don't think. He was he was going to burn the citizens to the ground to keep his throne. That's why wildfire had been planted all over the city. That's why Cersei was able to gather the stores of it together because he planted it under the major intersections. He was going to blow the whole city up to keep the Lannisters from having it, the Lannisters and the Baratheon men. Okay, my final bowl of brown for you, Maester Daniel. John breaks the news of his parentage to Danny. She ha- brings up some valid questions. Your brother and your best friend tell you this news and you just take it at face value. And all he says is, it's true, Danny. It's true. 
A secret no one in the world knew. Except your brother and your best friend. Doesn't seem strange to you? It's true, Danny. So John isn't questioning Sam and Bran's story because he just has a feeling that it's true, which I suppose is fair, but the episode skips over all of John processing the information instead using Danny's perspective, which on John for much of the episode as he avoids her. Did you have a problem with that at all, or is it just me nitpicking a little too much with this bullet Well, no, I, I agree. It's one of those, just like I said earlier about Sansa and the the what what the northern question would be after the war it's you know expectedly ends if they're alive if they all live through this and just like john's question just what like what john was talking about there was no easy way to give that news to daenerys he it, it rocked his world you you saw how immediately when after sam told him he said the first thing he said was daenerys is our queen his honor told him the truth he, he said it's treason it's treason he doesn't want it to be true he knows it to be true because he can ride a dragon. His blood knows. Blood doesn't lie. It's another thing that they keep circling back to, um, in the certainly in the show, subliminally. Um, in the books, it's much more uh, overt. But they keep showing how you just you just know. Daenerys has always had this grander sense of purpose when it comes to what her life and was going to be like, and so was Rob's. I mean, Rob's. Um, so was John's. Him and Rob were the same age, and they grew up, and they would always pretend to be kings and castles. And whenever John would bring up being in a king and castle, Rob would always mention that he was a bastard. It wasn't because Rob was wanting to be mean. It was just kids. Kids are very, very literal, and they just say the truth. And all John wanted was to just to be legitimate. He didn't care about titles. He doesn't still care about titles. He even says it. He, And I think he really believes it. I think he just is grappling with an existential crisis. He's found out that the person that he thought was and was the one of the greatest men to ever live was doing it because of a lie of his entire life. He was holding the biggest secret. And Daenerys hits the nail on the head. It's really on the nose. I mean, they have to do it because they just gained so many followers and so many watchers that they have to repeat stuff that should have been obvious to people that um, have been watching her reading, consuming this, this media for any number of years, um, that it's hard to, you know, these characters got to find out. They don't know what we know. Daenerys doesn't know what we know. John just found out what we know. And it's going to, it's difficult again with a short season with these shortened, uh, timeframes that they, you know, they get that slow burn that you got through 10 episodes. Um, but I think it's, but I think it's believable because this is it's such an unbelievable um, scenario that there's a Targaryens, the Targaryens weren't dead and there's two of them. And now they are in a relationship together. It feels like, you know, ill-fated love that they'll find all this out. There'll be this grander sense of purpose. And then they have to kill. They have to use that to kill themselves to, to save the rest of the world, which is what John's arc is about. Anyway, he is the tragic, he is the Messiah character, the, tr the classic one, Frodo, and, you know, all these these characters that have this gigantic self-sacrifice, Luke Skywalker, that are willing to do these things. That's what their Odysseus in the Odyssey, where, where the hero's art comes from. All those things Jon Snow represents. And Daenerys does, too. That's why I don't think and I hope they don't make this personal strife be one of the central themes. Because after the, if they haven't learned their lesson with the Arya Littlefinger, which I think the Arya Sansa Littlefinger storyline is probably the worst of the major storylines that especially happened last year. I think you'll probably agree with me there, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that you know they just don't they they don't need to that they you know they got to be more fan servicey than they need to be trying to subvert your expectations. I think John's going to take the place of the Night King in order to save humanity, but you and I disagree there. Okay, look, we got to get to a lot of other things. So first, death has many faces. It's a new segment where we predict deaths. I'm going to go through a number of names. You give me a percentage that they're dying in the Battle of Winterfell. You ready? Yes, do it. There is only one God, and his name is Death. He's got many faces. And there is only one thing we say to death. Not today. 
I look forward to seeing this one. Sir Davos Seaworth. I think zero percent. I think he makes it. Oh, he makes it. You're saying zero percent? No, not even a chance. Yeah. Oh. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think there's a chance that Davos does. Theon Greyjoy. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think. I think that's. A, if we were talking about locks, I think he's pretty much a big lock. Gendry. I think he's going to die too. I do too. He got the proper send off. He sure enough gave Arya that spear, both figuratively and. If they have, if if she ends up getting pregnant, the their Ooh. child has the classic claim to uh, many different seats: Winterfell, Storm's End, and the Iron Throne. If we're if we're going by the current rules in Westeros, so nice symmetry. Symmetry was the name of the day last week on the Night Is Dark and Full of Spoilers. Good symmetry there. I think it was in the pilot episode. Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark are walking in the crypts, and Rob says, "You have a daughter. I have a son. We'll join our houses." That didn't happen until when. Yesterday, Sunday, mm-hmm. when Arya and Gendry did that deed. Mm-hmm, they did. I want to say this about Arya's sex scene because it's become a little controversial, and I don't know why. This show depicts women and sex in such a gruesome, ugly way. It was awesome to see a main character that we've been with for so long take control of her own agency and just be able to enjoy something that's so very human, have a human moment, and just be able to have that and own that herself. I thought that was a really cool thing. I'm glad they that she was able to to you know get it out of the way and uh, you yeah. know his face his face when he knew that he couldn't lie to her was really really hilarious. Yeah, Gendry fell victim to the rule of three here. It's in American Pie two when uh, I can't remember Natasha Leone's character says the rule mm-hmm. of three. If the dude says he's had sex with three women, he's really had sex with one or none. Gendry, you only had sex with one, and it was just the tip with the red woman. So you, you haven't had it. Arya and Gendry. We don't know where spirits. he's been rowing to. He disappeared yeah. for three seasons. Yeah, he was a little lonely on that boat. A lot of self-service. Okay, i got to move on. got to move on. All right, okay. Grey Worm. Okay, so Masande and Grey Worm have that conversation about after this is over, do you want to grow old here? I want to go back to North. I want to see the beaches again. I'll protect you. Grey Worm is biting it 100% to me, but since I can't say anybody's 100%, I'm going to say 89.9. I'm going to say 100% just like Thin. I think it's another one of those that's been, I mean, Grey Worm's arc is, you know, naturally over with. I think that he, you know, I think that he's he's a – template will be correct i think that him and his i think the unsullied will end up settling in westeros protecting the people the dothraki that end up settling and they're gonna have to end up selling the reach i mean right. there's no i mean there's not gonna be anybody in the reach left there's a bunch of farmers so you know and they're and they're horse people so i think they'll get along great with some of the dornish too podrick Payne got his peregrine took moment he sung jenny's song jenny of old stones the song that foreshadow potentially Danny's arc. We'll get to that in a second. But Podrick Payne, will he survive next week? I hope so, but I don't, I don't think I don't think he's long for this world either. Man, it's going to be a bummer. Mm-hmm. When Brienne was watching with such pride as he's teaching Winterfell soldiers how to fight, eh, I think Podrick's biting it. What do you, what do you put it on? I'm going to say uh, 67%. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to go lower. I'm going to go 56%. I'm going to go oh. you know, just a little over 50 Tolderman Giants Bane, and the story of how he got the name Giants Bane is great. He killed a giant when he was 10, and he climbed into bed with the giant's wife, and she suckled him at her teat for three months, and that's why he's so strong. Giant's milk, and then he chugged the goat's milk that was in his horn of what you thought was beer, but no, it was milk. Tolderman Giants Bane. I think he's going to bite it, too. Uh, me too. I know. I really that I think it's tomorrow. I think next week is going to be brutal, man. I really do. I feel like they've been letting it simmer for a while to clear some of the table off, heading towards the end. Give me the percentage game. for Tormund Giants, man. Oh, oh I'm going to say 75. percent Oh man. Mm-hmm. Jorah Mormont. I think he's zero percent. I think he's going to live. Wielding I think that Heartsbane. Still, what is the significance of him uh, wielding Heartsbane? He did have a well, nice little send off with Sam, where Sam says, "I'll see you when it's over." Tells me he's going to bite it. So I'm going to put it a little higher than you. I'm going to say 32 percent, but I think he's a little safer than some others, specifically Dolorset. I think so too. I think Dolorset is going to be 100 percent. Yeah. I think Valerian Steel though is the main thing. If there's not that much of it, um, Jorah's dad was so integral into the Night's Watch. Into Jon Snow and Sam's development. It's a nice, you know, bookend to that. I just don't understand why you would give someone Valerian Steel Sword to kill in the next episode. Doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense, especially because how important and how many White Walkers there are. 
now that we see how many, you know, them in uh, in greater numbers. Barrick. I think he's a hundred percent. I think he's gonna die. The Hound. I think he lives. I think he gets resurrected or makes it through. I think we have to have the confrontation with his brother and Cersei. Jamie. I think he's gonna die. Oh, I don't think he's dying next week. He's still got to fill out his book page and also his, fill the he's, prophecy he's of the Valkyrie. He's filling out his he's filling out his book page. He knighted the first woman in Westerosi history. Yeah. Who's going to end up being extremely important as well? She's got Oathkeeper, the ice, the former. It, that's another thing. She's carrying this the Stark Valyrian steel. There's no way she's going to. I just don't feel like they will, they'll kill her that quickly after giving her her life's work. Well, who kills Cersei then if it's not Jaime? I think it's going to be Arya. I think Arya's just. I think she's going to live through a bunch more that I originally I, thought. I'm going to get to my theory that you don't agree with, but it has to do with Kyburn, and that's how we'll finish it out. But we got to do this. Bronn, is he going to be there? I don't know if he's going to make it or not. Probably not. Yeah, he's not going to get to Winterfell? He no. might be the guy who ends up experiencing the army of the dead moving south. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about it. I always forget that we have not seen the Night King. We don't no. know where he is. We just don't know. Well, the, dragon the dragon that they showed though. in the teaser was Danny riding Drogon. It was not Viserion. It was not Rhaegal. It was Drogon and Danny. Yes. Yeah. Sam. I think he lives. Uh, zero, zero percent. He's got to make it through. I think he's a storyteller, so yes. John, Danny, Bran, Tyrion, Sansa, and Arya. That's a, I think most of them, I think most of them make it. I think uh, they're the big guys, the big Starks. Um, I think they all live. The only one with any potential to die is probably going to be Arya, but I think she's going to make it. Man, if Arya goes, that is going to be awful. Mm-hmm. Awful. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've talked about before the Night King's motivations. For the first time, the show actually described what the Night King wants, and, he, and they use that exposition tool as Bran saying he wants an endless night. He'll come for me. He's tried before many times with many three-eyed ravens. Why? What does he want? An endless night. He wants to erase this world, and I am its memory. Were you satisfied with the explanation, or do you think there's more to it than that? No, I think that that was always the purpose. Like we said last week, I think that he represents the eternal, the eternal darkness. And, and if you go through the companion book, the World of Ice and Fire, they have and, and Essos has very many different variations of that story about what the Long Night was. And it happened on Essos too. People think that it just happened in Westeros. No, it happened all across the world. He brought a thousand years of darkness. Um, and I, I like how they're making them two diametrically opposed forces. They didn't throw a lot of other stuff at you because, you know, they couldn't. He's definitely not going to be called the three eyed raven. Yeah. It's going to be some other force in the book, obviously. Um, but I like how they just accept how weird Bran is. They all accept this information very, they took it all very well. The, the yeah, well, because he he's be the memory and, of the realm. He stands as the entire memory yeah. of this world itself. I so. just think it's, think it's funny that that's, you know, that information is 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 not as taken at face value and accepted, but he tells uh, John who his real parents are, and all of a sudden Daenerys is all up in arms. It's just it's just funny. Dude. I always find that kind of little those little interactions funny. But why does he want eternal darkness? Does it have to do with his torture that he was subjugated to? I think um, he was one of the first the men. Forced? I think he was one of the first men, and you know. When we went back to the ghost of High Heart, she lives at High Heart. High Heart is this um, – it's not even a – it's not a hill. It's more of a mound that is the only elevated surface amongst many, many plains. So an enemy would be easily sighted for miles and miles around. Um, but on the top of this mound is a was a grove of weirwood trees, about 30 of them. And the first men came with their fire, and, and none of the fire magic – that Thoros of Murch has to do when Arya's being captured has been captured by the Brotherhood without banners. She's he's going to be ransomed. What it turns out to she's trying to they're trying to ransom her at the Red Wedding, which turns out to be the Red Wedding. They don't know it's the Red Wedding, and they go to the woods, the woods at High Heart, and the crone comes. This this little woods witch that um, Jenny of Oldstones had. This is way back, and and this is Aegon V. We're talking about hundred. So she's she's abnormally aged. Um, Jenny of Old Stones, who the song was about, thought she was one of the children on the force. They don't think she's one of them. So they think she's related to them. She's either a child or grandchild. But she has dreams, and the weirwood trees speak, and the trees still speak to her. And I think that's what Bran 
um, really has turned into. He's turned into that, that woman, that, that a lot of the prophecy has come through that. Um, she calls Arya blood child. She, she says she thinks that Beric Dondonaran is the one who smells like death and ends up being Arya. She has this really cool um, interaction with Arya. And she sees the death of Balan Greyjoy, Theon's dad. She sees Euron hiring a faceless man to kill him. That's where the whole um, remember the leeches that Melisandre gave up. Yes, they're all they're all these are different connected magics. That all the magic is connected somehow. And I like that. That's what they're really setting up is the diametrically opposed forces. That you know it could be fire and ice, for instance, um, Bran representing the fire, the the fire of life. And him representing the heat death, and he was he he was of the first men. And she talks about the first men coming with the fire the little woods, which does. And that's when they they tore down all the 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 weirwood grove. Um, uh, Jamie Lannister actually sleeps on one of the weirwoods and has this crazy dream, prophetic dream. He doesn't understand it. It's because the old gods are speaking to them, and it's because magic has come back alive in this world. And uh, I think that the first men were killing the children of the forest. So. You know, and they talked about how the children of the force use dragon glass arrows. That they found a way to make um, the ultimate weapon, the nuclear fission of this day. But they did; they couldn't control him. He, they, they, he, he's like um, the Terminator who can't stay. He's stayed in the on position. They can't turn him off. They can't reprogram him. Okay, we've got to get motivation. some rapid wildfire question, but before we do, the significance of the Godswood. The Godswood has long been an iconic presence in the show, dates back to Ned and the pilot, returned in full force with John and Arya in their reunion last week. Brandon and Jamie met there, but it's also this symbol of the old gods. And you heard, of course, Jamie when he's knighting Brienne, cite the mother, the warrior, and the father. What does the Godswood, what role does it have to play? moving forward and why would they want to be hold up there that's where his power i think would be concentrated is in they call it wherewood.net in the uh in the internet sphere of uh of the the message boards that are associated with game of thrones um and he that way he is able to scout i think that his, he's going to use his warring ability somehow you know and i think that's where we find out where the night king really is is that he's not going to be at the battle. He's not even going to be fighting in the battle. He's going to be like Voldemort was in the Battle of Hogwarts. He's going to be observing or he's going to be somewhere that is not expected. I think he's going to be further south. Okay. So That's when you find out. Some rapid wildfire questions. First, is Jenny's song foreshadowing Danny's arc? And if so, how? It could, but um, there's the, the, the Jenny song was about... Um, Falling in love with the with the Targaryen with the Targaryen prince, uh, John, uh, and that's true. But it ended in tragedy at Summerhall. They tried to rekindle the dragons, and it killed Jenny of Old Stones, Duncan, her husband, um, Aegon V, and his family, um, and Duncan the Tall, which is the, who Duncan, Aegon's first child, Aegon V's first child and heir, was named after. And all these people die together at the tragedy of Summerhall. It's the same day that Rhaegar Targaryen is born, the same day that Jon Snow's father is, is born. And that's which, why Rhaegar sings the tragedies or whatever it is. Yes, is because of that. Is And that song was is the only thing that the Woods Witch will take to prophesy to the Brotherhood Without Banners and gives them information that nobody else knows. And the only song she'll listen to is, the, is Jenny of Oldstones, about Jenny of Oldstones. Sansa in her meeting with Danny was looking past the war to what will become of the North. What will become of the North? What's left of the North, assuming that they don't outright win the Battle of Winterfell on Sunday? I think they become an autonomous part of the Seven Kingdoms, or whatever the Seven Kingdoms become. Bran says to Jamie and the Godswood, Why didn't you tell them? You won't be able to help us in this fight if I let them murder you first. What about afterwards? How do you know there is an afterwards? How do you know there is an afterwards? What did he mean? It's very he ominous. He doesn't know. He doesn't know that he can see most everything except he can't see the future, which is kind of like with Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan couldn't see the future because um, Osmandius was using a tachyon emitter to mess with his future sight, and I think that's what Bran sees, a confrontation with the Night King, but he, like he told them, he nobody's ever tried to kill him with dragon fire, so nobody knows. 
And last rapid wildfire question, Jamie knighting Brienne. Arise, Brienne of Toth, a knight of the Seven Kingdoms. Top five, top ten Game of Thrones moment ever. It was great, except for the slow clap. I love the, the slow clap. I love the slow clap. I love the It just made me laugh because it made me think of the guy from um, Not Another Teen Movie. Well, what I loved about it is Brienne, in comparison to all the actual real knights throughout the show, she acted more knightly than anyone. She's always held true to her promises and her oaths and her commitment to Catelyn Stark and to see that rewarded in a way. And it's legitimized by having witnesses there to see it. Now, if she makes it out of here, how that's carried out and people actually take her seriously as a knight remains to be seen. I just thought it was a very good moment. It really finished her character arc. That's why I think Brienne is far more she's got a lot she's got yeah she is she's in a lot of danger but she's also carrying valerian steel she's also carrying ice which i think is probably the the biggest plot armor you can have right now when you're facing as many white walkers as they're facing okay we mentioned cersei cersei is nowhere to be found in episode two might not be a lot of cersei in episode three it's 82 minutes and you expect it to be a huge battle similar to that of helms deep in lord of the rings that's what they said inspired this as they're putting together the greatest tv battle potentially in the history of television I have a theory as to how Cersei's going to bite it. I believe that Kyburn is working for Varys. Varys is the master of whispers, but we haven't really seen that talent on full display in quite some time. You have to make some logical leaps with this theory. But Kyburn, if you remember, was found at Harrenhal when Rob and the Northmen rode in. And the mountain had killed everyone in Harrenhal, almost killed Kyburn, but he survived. He was pledged to House Bolton. In the, in the books, he was... Um Actually, a part of the quest called the um, the Brave Companions. They're a group of crazy people led by a guy named Vargo Hote, who's also called the Goat. And they cut off Jamie's hand without consulting anybody. That's why they end up paying a big price. He ends up dying, like Vargo Hote's him dying. They actually change it to Locke, the guy who who Arya ends up killing. Actually, well, Hodor kills Locke in the show. Yes, when uh, yes when he tore his head off. I meant, but or broke I mean, his neck, right? Yeah, yeah, rips his head rips his head off basically. But um, he joined the Night's Watch. Yes. Um, but they, you know, they, they had all those characters that, um, that, that Arya ended up interacting with that whole group that was supposed to be the Brave Companions. They ended up turning them to just Bannerman of Bruce Bolton. Quiburn is the, um, is probably one of the most dangerous people in the whole, in the whole shebang. Um, and I think that he's probably, if he's not working for Varys, which is very, it's plausible of course, but it would be more of his own, he, he, he's, his marches to the beat of his own drum. He's not the type of person to have specific loyalty to someone like Varys. This is where I get my theory from. It's a, it's a multi-layered thing, so follow me for a second. First of all, the mountain almost killed him. It would make no sense for him to resurrect this mountain if for no other reason than to use him for his own gain. So he resurrects the mountain to get in good graces with Cersei, but the mountain doesn't really answer to Cersei. He answers to his master, which is Kyburn. He's the one that reanimated him, and Kyburn is directing him to help out Cersei to protect Cersei even more than that the little birds Varys is in charge of all the little birds and there's no way that those little birds the information that they have wouldn't get back to Varys as far as far as what Kyburn is doing if Varys is not in effect telling those little birds to work with Kyburn even more than that he cleared out all the potential rivals of the Starks by influencing Cersei to blow up the Sept of Baelor he's the one that introduced her to wildfire to clear the deck for the Starks for a grand takeover. Is this too much of a stretch? It's a bit of a stretch, but again, he has his own motivations, but I don't think he's going to be beholden to some somebody like Varys. I think Varys could be potentially uh, setting up with the Lord of Light and the followers of the Lord of Light. Um, he could be working with him. That's just, we don't see what his communications were or what his, what he's still capable of because he's been largely silent the last two years. Um it would be nice to see him have some more um, cunning behind it. I just don't feel like it would be. I think Kyburn is. I think I agree with a lot of it, though, on the basis of what Kyburn's doing. I think that he. I think he's the one who took the initiative and sent Bronn south. I think that it wasn't a mistake. I think he was doing it without Cersei's knowledge as well, because I think he feels like Cersei's probably losing it. Um, the only other motivation I could see that would make sense. They make a huge deal in the book about how. He was kicked out of the Citadel because of his beliefs about working with the dead and reanimating the dead. So he could have sympathies with the Night, with the Night King 
And uh, it could further the other theory that he and Cersei will end up switching sides to the side of pure evil. Okay, last thing we got to get out of here. What happens in episode three? The biggest plot points that they're going to hit on. You're going to see a lot of your friends die. It's going to be like World War One. You, you know, the guys, that's what this last episode was about, was trench humor. Because the, the next day, they gotta, they're going to blow the whistle and you got to go over the top. Put your hand on the weirwood tree. What happens at the end of Game of Thrones? I have no idea. No clue, no theories, nothing. I hope that it's um, John or Danny. I hope they don't try to go with someone else or someone that's related to them. At this point, there would be a gigantic swerve if they try to make it anybody but those two, I think. The night is dark and full of spoilers. He's Maester Daniel. I'm Ben of House Garrett, Lord of Oxford and Warden of North Mississippi. Next week, my friend. Next week. They spun her around on the damp old stones, spun away all her sorrow and pain. And she never wanted to leave, never wanted to leave, never wanted to leave, never wanted to leave. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.